Welcome to Jerusalem Studio Podcast. Join us to discuss the latest updates from Israel and the region. Shalom and welcome to Jerusalem Studio. The Vienna talks between Iran and several world powers regarding the 2015 Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action, commonly referred to as the Iran nuclear deal, have entered their fifth round. With progress towards an agreement on a mutual return to compliance reported as a hopeful indicator but not enough for a deal. The American side is involved indirectly in a sort of proximity talks, while the focus remains on Iran's nuclear activities and U.S. sanctions imposed on Tehran's economy. To further analyze this topic, we're joined from Washington, D.C. by Dr. Oli Heinonen, who is the former Deputy Director General of the International Atomic Energy Agency and a distinguished fellow at the Stimson Center at Washington, D.C. Thank you for joining us, sir. Thank you. Also joining us from central Israel is Mr. Meir Javanfar, who is an Iran lecturer at IDC Herzliya. Thank you for joining us, sir. Hello from Tel Aviv. Indeed, and uh, I'd like also to uh, welcome to the panel our TV7 analyst and uh, host of uh, TV7's Watchmen Talk, Mr. Amir Oren. Amir, give us a broader understanding. Of course, there is uh, beyond the nuclear file the, the regional aspirations for the Islamic Republic of Iran that have to do with uh, revolutionary aspirations, uh, as they put it. Um, to what degree is the one intertwined with the other? And are we currently in, in a crossroads for uh, the, the time ahead? So here we are uh, at the start of the month of June with a flurry of diplomatic activity. Uh, in mid-month, uh, we are going to see the first uh, Biden-Putin summit. They will obviously uh, touch on that too. Um, Secretary of State Blinken met his counterpart, Sergei Lavrov, uh, earlier. And, uh, of course, the various parties to the old uh, JCPOA are active diplomatically. Uh, Blinken talked with Heiko Maas, the uh, German foreign minister, not only because Germany is uh, one of the parties uh, to the uh, nuclear deal, but also because Germany is uh, a non-voting member of the Security Council um, this time. Now, in addition to uh, what is happening uh, in Vienna with the American delegation under uh, Rob Malley reporting back to President Biden and Secretary Blinken, getting their approval. We are going to have the presidential elections uh, in Tehran. Obviously, mayor will uh, expand on it, we see that one of the issues is sanctions on terror activities. Uh, this is um, uh, apart from sanctions regarding the nuclear activities, but there is, of course, a debate between the Americans and the Iranians on the definition of what constitutes a terror act. And this brings us to the partners and proxies part of the activities. And one salient example is what the Houthis are doing in Yemen. And therefore, there are now talks between the Saudis and the Iranians, on the one hand, and between the Americans, the Saudis, and the Omanis, on the other hand. The American uh, emissary um, regarding the um, uh, Yemen problem has gone to uh, Saudi Arabia and Oman, and obviously messages are going back and forth regarding the uh, cessation or at least reduction of Houthi 
uh, attacks on Saudi Arabia and uh, the United Arab Emirates. So something is brewing. Of course, it will have to include the release of uh, dual American-Iranian citizens held by Iran uh, so that it could be depicted as a humanitarian move. Something will probably move within the next few days or weeks. Dr. Leinonen, I'd like to ask you with regard to the ongoing negotiations in Vienna. Of course, the International Atomic Energy Agency continues uh, to at least uh, monitor uh, via its tools in, uh, in the various uh, nuclear installations the uh, ongoing activities of the Islamic Republic of Iran, which uh, since uh, its uh, withdrawal from the deal, uh, it uh, has already rage, uh, raised or ratcheted up uh, its activities to a 66% uh, purity level enrichment of uh, fissile material uh which is far beyond uh, civilian applications uh, from uh, what I understand. But uh, if you could give us a little bit of an understanding, uh, the IAEA currently does not have access to all those activities that it is undertaking uh in an automated way in order to uh, basically uh, verify it, a deal needs to be struck. So currently from the way I, I understand uh, the, the nuclear watchdog is actually flying blind and Iran is, is doing on the ground whatever it pleases? Yes, indeed. You know, there are quite a lot of restrictions and I'm a little bit worried about the end result. IAEA has its monitoring equipment at the enrichment plants and it's now important when they produce 60% enriched uranium, 20% enriched uranium and 5% enriched uranium that they are continuously monitored. But unfortunately, IAEA doesn't have access to this equipment all the time, but they have to wait until this grace period, which is now on the 24th of June, when they can see what, how did the equipment operate. And there is a chance that equipment may have malfunctioned or something else has happened, lights off, and then we lost all this period which are there. Certainly there are some other measures that IAEA can in a big number get get an understanding of what has taken place. But this is a serious restric restriction and it's actually actually a violation in Iran's safeguards agreement. Not the JCPOA, not the Arizona protocol on that sense, but the legal instrument is comprehensive safeguards agreement that they are violating it now. The safeguards agreement under the non-proliferation treaty which Iran is a signatory to. Yes. Indeed. Well, I'd like to ask you, Mr. Javed Anfal, when we're talking about Iran's intentions in this situation, obviously it is quite clear that uh, the Islamic Republic is adamant on seeing uh, this uh, Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action revived without any additions to it. Uh, it will, of course, salvage its failing economy uh, also after uh, the Chinese uh, activities that uh, occurred with regard to the cryptocurrency, uh, somewhere that the Iranians have invested significant sums of money into, suddenly they lost a third of all of their investments uh, uh, within 48 hours, uh, bringing the total sum to uh, significant amounts of uh, money, which is not clear to what degree it actually impacted uh, these activities. But uh, I'd like to ask you with regard to actually activities happening on the ground in Iraq 
at a time when uh, the Joint Comprehensive Plan of Action is being discussed or deliberated, indirect talks with the United States are seemingly, at least according to the EU uh, chair of the talks in Vienna, uh, have made substantial progress, something also confirmed by President Rouhani. Uh, suddenly we came to the point where we see Iranian proxies once again firing a rocket toward U.S. Uh, uh, bases in Iraq or Iraqi bases housing U.S. troops. Uh, and it seems that the RGC, on the one hand, is not completely aligned with the political establishment, or, or how does that exactly work? Well, I think that this, the, the way the IRGC sees it, um, uh, this is firing missiles at U.S. bases in Iraq is first and foremost uh, negotiations by another means. They see it as increasing Iran's leverage for the time being when it comes to the talks. Uh, and especially the fact that America has only responded once, this really um, uh, boosts the motivation uh, of the IRGC because they have nothing to lose. America is not responding, so they are continuing with their activities. I think even after there's a nuclear deal, if there are um, going to be U.S. forces on the ground in Iraq, uh, I think that it's very likely that the IRGC will, will continue for uh, its own goals in terms of domestic Iranian politics, we have to remember that the IRGC, when it comes to the Iranian deep state, derives part of its budget and legitimacy uh, from its extraterritorial activities. These are much to the pleasure and approval of Ayatollah Khamenei. So I think this is, yes, this is uh, likely to continue. But in terms of uh, um, how the Iranian people see, to be honest with you, um, I, I think life in Iran is more difficult than, than ever before. We saw recently um, rolling blackouts in Tehran, partly because of those uh, crypto mining equipment, which is sucking up so much of Iran's energy, but also because of the drought. Uh, Iran gets about 14% of its energy from hydroelectric sources, and those uh, dams are are running low. So. Um, this is the, the blackouts really um, hurts the economy <clears throat> and they will continue to undermine the government because um, there does not seem to be a solution on the horizon. So um, this is really pushed down the issue of the nuclear program. Uh, and some people are asking why, why are we you know, paying such huge price for uh, the sanctions for a nuclear program when, it, you know, when we have other huge priorities. So this is the situation right now, and, and we have to wait and see. But Khamenei, for now, uh, it seems that he's, he doesn't want to make a major gesture to the United States in the talks. Maybe it's because he's waiting for the new <coughs> sorry, president to leave the office, or maybe he's trying to get to see how far he can push the Americans. It's not clear. But uh, the people of Iran pay, for, pay the price because uh, it seems to many Iranians that Biden is ready for a deal, but Khamenei is not. Indeed. I'd like to ask you, Mr. Olin, to what degree are the Americans basically um, resolved on returning into compliance with the deal? Of course, it's a matter of wanting to break away from the Trump administration's foreign policy. And uh, this is part of that, of course, also if Iran is broken on the economic scale, uh, it means that it would be in the good graces of China, something that Chinese uh, President Xi Jinping on multiple occasions has indicated uh, Beijing's interest in cooperation uh, in deeply cooperating with Tehran. But 
At the same time, uh, there was just recently a statement by U.S. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo, the former, uh, in which he said that once this deal is revived, the United States will be technically paying uh, to a regime that is sponsoring terror against the United States. So, in effect, it's paying for terrorism against the homeland. How does that actually allow uh, the Biden administration to uh, implement something when Congress might uh, avert such an endeavor? Let me first um, uh, remark uh, in a very brief way uh, something which came up in your exchange with Oli, uh, which may uh, be, uh, your exchange may have been uh, not so reassuring to viewers Uh, who um, may be concerned, lest the uh, three and now four-month hiatus in the uh, verification regime of the IAEA in uh, Iranian facilities could make the Iranians uh, do something clandestinely, without the world knowing. Uh, What we know up to now regarding the fantastic intelligence capabilities of certain Western services um, in various countries or vis-a-vis organizations um, could reassure us that either such services could spy on Iran or at least hack these IAEA cameras, which are still working. They are not at the disposal of the atomic agency But once they are working, someone else from the outside could hack their products and thereby keep an eye on what is happening in Iran. Just a thought so that it is not as if uh, everyone is blind to uh, uh, what is happening there. Now, regarding uh, the focus of your question, there used to be a legal school of diplomacy believing that agreements are the most most important part of the interrelationship between states. Once an agreement was signed, such as the Kellogg-Brayan Pact in the 1920s or other pacts, then everything is fine, not to mention the Munich uh, Agreement of 1938. There is another realpolitik school which believes that interests dictate what is happening. And apparently Obama and now Biden belong to the other school, which believes that if it will be in Iran's interest, regardless of the fine print in the 2015 deal or the 2021 deal or whatever, then they will do what is um, also in the best interest of the world or of the United States. Even if it contradicts their clear aspirations and declared uh, efforts? And then this is uh, why they believe that um, had the 2015 deal been followed through, it would have changed the behavior, shaped the behavior of the regime. Of course, if you just take the um, uh, Khomeini and now Khamenei uh, rhetoric and then project it to the future, there is no hope. But if the regime will be at least slightly changed or put on a trajectory that in five or ten years would change it or would bring some movement from within, 
whether this is realistic or not, then the uh, clauses in the agreement itself are less important. Indeed. Dr. Heinonen, I'd like to ask you, uh, when we're talking about uh, the capacity of the International Atomic Energy Agency to uh, truly verify currently whether or not uh, the Iranians are in pursuit of a nuclear weapon, uh, how can it uh, guarantee to the international community at this very stage that Iran is not doing so? I think at the IAEA cannot do it at this point of time with this international support with it's unfortunately has. As we, you mentioned, you know, this issue, for example, of uh, contamination by natural uranium particles has been on table for almost two years. Your, after the March meeting, there were supposed to be meetings between Iran and IAEA. They have met twice, twice in three months. That's not very much. So I think that there is now a stalemate and everyone uh, waits for a JCPOA to be problem solved and then they return back to the IAEA. But at this point of time, this doesn't look very flourishing. Indeed. Uh, Mr. Javed Anfal, I'd like to ask you, in, in the last uh, round of negotiations back uh, in 2015, when uh, the P5 plus one in Iran were engaged in diplomacy in order to uh, reach the, the uh, agreement, uh, the United States apparently asked of Israel to create a credible military threat, uh, possibly uh, projecting uh, a danger to the Iranians that unless they return into com uh, or enter into uh, the agreement, they will face a uh, uh, all the options are on the table, so to speak, uh, solution. Uh, this seems now in a reality in which the state of Israel, uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu has said so repeatedly over the past uh, week and a half, two weeks, that uh, with or without a deal, the state of Israel is going to ensure that Iran is not going to attain a nuclear weapon and is going to uh, do it independent uh, from whether the United States agrees to this or not, uh, whether that is a possibility or not, that's a different question. But uh, I'd like to ask you, to what degree are the Iranians taking Israel seriously? Uh, well, to be honest with you, the Iranians do take Israel seriously, but I would say the recent Gaza war would have uh, would have created some new scenarios for Iran. Um, you know, Israel attacked Hamas, which was attacked, which launched, which started this war through rockets. And look at how many thousands of hundreds of thousands of people on the streets of London, 180,000 people. We saw a massive backlash against Israel. We saw the progressives in the U.S. Uh, uh, Bernie Sanders were, went even as far as addressing a bill to block the sale of uh, $700, $700 million worth of missiles to Israel. So if Israel cannot get into a war with Hamas without the war up in arms, how can Israel start bombing Iran's nuclear installations in a, in a scenario whereby Israel detects Iran is, uh, is building a weapon? What I'm trying to say is that the recent Gaza war showed that Israel diplomatically is weak. Israel put too much of its um, eggs in the basket of Mr. Trump, and now we are paying the price with the Democrats. Also. We have not made any progress with the Palestinians, although the Iran and Palestine issue, Iran does not want peace with the Palestinians, it does not want peace between Israel and the Palestinians. At the same time, the lack of progress in the Israel-Palestinian track hurts Israel's uh, diplomatic credibility. 
and this undermines Israeli efforts with regards to Iran. So I would say that the Iranians, I think, are they are they may they may be feeling a little bit more emboldened after the recent war, um, especially that we saw that Hamas and Jihad Islami used so much Iranian equipment that uh, was most of it was apparently assembled inside Gaza. So I would say yet they would be feeling more emboldened, especially because of the negative Israeli reaction to. Uh, to the Gaza, to the, to, to, you know, to Israel's attacks against uh, Gaza, but um, whether that means that Mr. Khamenei is going to go and say I'm going to make a nuclear weapon, I don't think so. Um, but I think yes, they are. They are cognizant. They 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 were viewing um, uh, the international reaction against Israel with with much pleasure and and hope. And I think the Iranian regime is quite disappointed that the war ended after uh, 11 days. And I think it's even more disappointed that Israel did not make a ground incursion into Gaza uh, because of uh, because that could have led to more Israeli casualties. Indeed. And of course, uh, both Hamas and Palestinian Islamic Jihad uh, have come out and thanked Iran for Correct. financial support, Correct. for its uh, uh, shipments of military point? arms and technical point? support. Go ahead. The fact that the Hamas leadership and Jihad Islami leadership came and thanked the Islamic Republic in, in the social media, that has led to a, to a major backlash inside Iran, especially now that people of Iran see that their own regime has not, and government have not been investing uh, in Iran's electricity sector over the years, but, it, but its funding to Hamas and Jihad Islamic has, has continued. Indeed. Mr. Owen? Well, political will... Uh, to employ Israel's military might, notwithstanding, and uh, Hamas being perhaps the weakest of Israel's enemies. Having said that, this is a caveat uh, which one should note. Nevertheless, uh, the Israeli defense forces have shown um, such sophistication, uh, which must have been taken note of in Iran and elsewhere. If you want to put 160 fighters in the air over a very small area, synchronize such an attack, yes, there were no surface-to-air missiles there. In Iran, it will be much more complicated. In military terms, it is a masterpiece. Yes, and not only that, according to foreign reports, even while Israel was doing that, there was at least one strike away from Israel, perhaps uh, around the Syrian-Iraqi border, to intercept Iranian transports to Hezbollah. In the corridor of Abul Kamal, uh, there were various reports about such uh, a strike. Indeed. Indeed. Which means that, that the attention, the command and control of Israel will not be impaired, even if it's a multi-front war, even if it's Hamas and Hezbollah, Israel, the general staff, the Air Force, the intelligence corps, Mossad, all of them can mount an attack against Iran simultaneously. If you add to that the fact that the IRGC or the Quds Force have really been impaired by the death of Qasem Soleimani, who was the engine behind the proactive uh, policy, the assertiveness of the partners and proxies, you put all of that together, Iran has a lot to fear from Israel if there is either a context or a pretext 
for an Israeli strike. Diplomatically speaking, do we have the backing the moment such a uh, uh, reality could erupt? We are, we are uh, far away uh, from such a scenario. The Israeli uh, director of military intelligence, General Tamir Hyman, put it at at least two years. But if push comes to shove, Israel can do it. We're drawing near to the end of the program, and I'd like each and every one of you to have at least uh, a minute, or not at least a minute, one minute uh, max uh, for each of you uh, to have a short uh, analysis or prediction for the future. Uh, Dr. Heinonen, how are we heading on this uh, technical aspect of the nuclear negotiations? Do we expect, uh, in your view, to see a JCPOA plus, or uh, may we return into a JCPOA and then hope for the best? Unfortunately, it looks now for the time being the latter, that uh, people enter the JCPOA with some kind of weak assurances that the other issues we will deal then in the course of this new cooperation, which is opened by the return of uh, US to the JCPOA. And unfortunately, I think that the prospects for success, if that route is taken, will be very, very low. Indeed, Mr. Javadanfal. Um, I think we will see a JCPOA, but I don't think we'll see a JCPOA plus anytime soon. Um, I think the recent Gaza war has actually increased the importance of Iran's missile uh, arsenal to its uh, to its foreign policy, to its uh, as as a tool for to uh, to, to project power abroad. Um, and I and I also think because the Iranian um, uh, the, the Iranian presidential elections will be basically looks like it will be a one horse race between the conservatives. This means that Iran will now continue continue in its uh, trajectory of uh, of a confrontational foreign policy re- regarding Israel and military policy also regarding Israel. And also, I don't think we're going to see a cooling of heads when it comes to the United States. And last but not least, sorry to sound like such a pessimist, I don't see the IRGC allowing Iranian Saudi relations uh, to develop because that would undermine the in- their industrial defense complex. Indeed. Mr. Oren, uh, very shortly, you spoke, of, uh, of course, about the military intelligence here in Israel, predicting that there is still time until uh, uh, Iran could attain a nuclear missile. However, uh, that same intelligence directorate also anticipates a inevitable confrontation with Iran uh, in uh, the medium, immediate or medium future uh, vis-a-vis the North. How does that one actually coincide with the other? Well, nothing is really inevitable because the Israeli side can also uh, shape uh, whatever is happening and, and the Biden administration has an input. Um, one, one can safely say that uh, Israel hopes for the best and plans for the worst. And within the IDF, there is also a JCPOA. It's a Jewish comprehensive plan of action. Indeed. Well, this is all the time that we have for today. I'd like to thank Dr. Heinonen, Mr. Javed Anfar, and Mr. Oren for being part of today's panel. I'd like to thank our viewers as well, and we will see you next time. Thank you for joining us in another Jerusalem Studio podcast. For more content on Israel and its region, we invite you to visit our website at tv7israelnews.com and follow us on social media.